Welcome to One Quick Point, the strategy-focused podcast focused on the one key element communications and marketing professionals can use to be the critical link to their success. I'm your host, James Walker. Let's jump in. In today's episode, I sit down with Ivan Enjovich, an amazing strategist who I've met in the last year, who's really opened my eyes to the right way to think about the role that strategists can play in making the work truly better, more successful. So in this episode, we're going to talk through some of what he sees as the core components of a strategic brief. He's going to share some resources, things that he regularly reads or listens to. And we're also going to dig into this idea of strategy, who strategists are, how you can most successfully work with them, and the way to think about the work, which is the big key thing that we're always trying to figure out here with one quick point. What's the one strategy or tactic or approach that's going to help us all be the most successful? So I hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump in. Well, Ivan, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Awesome. And I'm not sure if it's just in my head, but I feel like strategists have a bit of an aura about them. It's almost like the sun. The closer you get, the more you feel it, except that instead of heat, you kind of get this sense that you get more intelligent when you're around them. So I'm hoping that we have a little bit of a a, a mind trip that you can take us on. And if you're kind enough to be our host, let's just dive in. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds good. I mean, I I feel the same way when I, when I talk to you from our conversations in, in the past and, I think there's definitely those those types of legendary strategists who are extremely cerebral and just everything that comes out of their mouth is is just a tweet. <laughs> uh, pretty interesting personalities. I think from from my perspective, I kind of you know like to challenge the status quo. So I think any sort of you know hopefully interestingness that comes out of that comes from from that place of of maybe thinking about things a little bit more deeply, thinking about them a little more differently so yeah looking forward to this uh to this conversation and 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 see uh see where it takes us well to ground us in the right way can you give us a definition of two things first define strategy and second tell us how you define the role of a strategist yeah no that sounds good and in terms of how i define strategy i i think strategy is is a you could say it's a fancy word for coming up with a good plan and, and putting it into action. But to me, strategy is, is the science of ensuring future success. There's actually a few other definitions of strategy that I like. One of them is that strategy is just about what you won't do as it is about what you will do. So, you know, if you decide to go north, you can't be moving south at the same time, uh, things like that. Bringing it more to our world of brand and marketing and comms, to me, strategy is about building the right it before building it right. Meaning that you need to go through some sort of process to help assess, explore, and eliminate possibilities, and then ultimately decide and prioritize what you think is the most promising path to go in. To give you an even more technical definition, I think strategy is a style of thinking. It is definitely unintentional and in, in my, at least maybe in my head, a sequential process. And it's connected to an intensive and feasible implementation system. So meaning it needs to lead you to a place that's some, somewhere that, you know, things are doable and achievable with the ultimate goal, again, of ensuring success. Typically, strategy will start with some sort of exploration and definition of a business and consumer problem. And there's many, many methods of, of doing that, but that can be done through research, data analytics, uh, modeling. And as part of that, there's a discovery of some sort of unobvious or, or underlying insight or truth. And based on that is um, giving a recommendation or direction. And, and that direction is the strategy. I, I think where most people and organizations fall short on the strategy is that they really don't spend enough time thinking about the problem. And they they jump straight into solutions and tactics right away. You know, kind of like if you're a quote unquote lifestyle brand, it's always that question of what are we doing at Coachella this year? Like, what are we doing at South by and versus why? 
<laughs> why right. should we be doing and who are we trying to connect to and uh, is it even the right thing to do? But but you know I've I've honestly seen actually that question come up time and time again, and it, it used to drive me crazy. But I guess that's understandable. You know, ideation is fun, but it doesn't always you know jumping straight into ideation doesn't always lead to the best outcomes. We've all seen that when you have a really bad brainstorm, it ends and you're just not sure where to go. And yeah. it's probably because you didn't have any guideposts of where you needed to get to. Yeah, that feeling just like, I, it's exactly right. Just just feeling um, so overwhelmed by the options and not knowing which ones are the right ones or or, or not. And some of them, it's actually kind of kind of sad in a way because there might actually be some really good ideas but because you haven't thought about the goals or, um, I guess, the strategy, um, you might even lose some of these ideas and kind of have to start over. So, yeah. Well, definitely. So this, I mean, I can hear from the way you're describing this. You've you've kind of crystallized this idea of how you need to approach from a thought standpoint, but also just a little bit of investigation before you really get started on something to really understand what the problem is. I think that's the, the big thing. That, that everybody's kind of circling around. Have you defined the right problem if you're trying to come up with the right strategy? Now, how did you find your way into this role and profession? Was that always the goal? Did you intend, you know, once you're kind of coming out of school, I'm going to be a strategist? Yeah. Um, and may- maybe like just I'll kind of answer this in, in the, in the, in the round, roundabout way and maybe add a little bit to the definition of strategy. Um, <laughs> there's many... Um, there's actually different flavors of strategy and, and strategists. So organizationally, and also in terms of specialization. So there's business strategists who, who think about, you know, the, basically the direction of the business and maybe look at things a little bit more from an ops side and can do like workforce planning and whatnot. There's brand and creative strategists. Those are thinking about how to position your brand how to connect with uh, your customers on a emotional behavior level, how to raise the brand equity, how to differentiate the brand and from the from the competition, what would be the right communication approaches for your campaigns and content, et cetera. Uh, there's innovation strategies. Those are kind of thinking about what's next, about the future, um, about how to literally disrupt yourself or not be uh, disrupted. Um, then there's experienced strategists who think about kind of the services, journeys, and experiences uh, that your customers are going to have with with your brand. Um, there's product strategists that are diving into competitive analysis of products and things like that. So um, there's different flavors. I, I, I'm actually a bit of a weirdo myself because uh, through my journey as a brand marketer, agency uh, strategist, and I was even an ECD for, for two years somehow. <laughs> and, and a management consultant. I've I've done all these and see the value of of the whole brain Swiss Army strategist. But there is definitely specialization. It's also worth noting that some companies don't necessarily believe in strategy as a discipline. They think that that's part of everyone's job, or that it's the job of the leaders in the company. And I can see that the kind of the pros and cons in 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 that approach. In terms of kind of how I came to be like, honestly, I don't think anyone truly ever bestowed their own upon me. It's sort of, I kind of worked myself into it, but I, I, I literally think it started with my, with kind of my parents. My parents are scientists and very logical, like very warm and human too, but also they, they had like that science side. And, you know, I remember as a kid trying to, to solve math problems and my dad, who's basically a nuclear scientist, could have just in two seconds just showed me how to solve a problem, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to give away the answer. So he would literally sit with me for hours and just ask me questions. Well, what? Why did you do this? Well, what about this? Well, what if you, you know, have you thought about the problem in this way? Until I got to the solution myself, and I used to, I used to hate him for it, like. <laughs> Like wanted to <laughs> wanted to do something to him, but uh, I realized later on that that was just invaluable in in what he kind of instilled in me. Uh-huh. Um, and later on, um, long story short, but I ended up in I'm not from America. I ended up in the states. 
I didn't even have a work permit. So the only job I could do was personal trainer. I did that for a bit and then kind of got, it felt like it wasn't enough. And then I ended up interning at a music management company. And, you know, I, I was basically lowest in the totem pole office manager, like doing kind of the most menial tasks. But I found, I started looking at the company and kind of what's, you know, what systems are working, what systems are not working, how can they improve things and and kind of came up with a plan of what they can and should be doing and, and kind of presented that plan. And honestly, it was probably the, the shittiest PowerPoint ever made in terms of design. <laughs> but I, you know, I showed that initiative and they were impressed and, and, and kind of promoted me and I, I, I rose to the ranks. And that was the beginning sort of of me switching to marketing and and, uh, and, and, and strategy. So I kind of always have had that. And I, I guess over time realized that I sort of think differently, a little differently than, than, than many people, but more on a professional tip, when I worked at, uh, at Sonos, I had a, I had a German boss and Germans are very, very strategic, very objective. And I think he kind of instilled it in me because I remember, you know, he, he, he had a very simple framework, which was the, uh, VST framework, vision, strategy, tactics. But to mm-hmm. me, that was that was a godsend because before we would do everything, we would our team would always go through that framework, and it, it just instilled this discipline of of asking the strategic questions and the why in me, and it actually caused <laughs> caused quite a lot of problems with other teammates when you would just they just want to do stuff and you would kind of start challenging and pushing on it, but that was kind of the beginning of 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 me getting into a more strategic role. And then over time, I started leading initiatives there where essentially I wore the hat of a strategist and, you know, and a leader and executing the program at the same time. And then when I moved to the agency side, it became a more of a official thing for me. So um, yeah, it was a bit of a, it probably not a, not a traditional path. Like I think a lot of people do, do have that kind of strategic traditional path of, you know, they, they started at WPP or JWT and they were like a junior dipshit and rose, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rose to the ranks. And then like 10 years later, they're the chief strategy officer or something like that. So that's, that's not me for, for better or worse. Uh, I kind of had to, you know, find, seek out the people that I thought were good strategists throughout and seek out the education and the methods. But I think as a result, maybe I was able to come up with a more holistic approach that is a combination of desirability, feasibility, viability, you know, like it has kind of the consumer side to it, it has the technical side to it, and it has the the business side of it. Nice. Well, I appreciate you taking us through the journey, because I think often people always, like you said, they assume that you go through that linear path. I took a linear path through PR, sort of. I, I knew coming out of school, I was running head first into agency PR, but since I got in there, then I, the, the journey started to become here, there, everywhere as I was picking up skills around it. So it's a little bit different in that way. But for any budding strategists, students, or your own professionals that are looking to kind of build a career in the space, is there anything you would recommend or any advice you would give them at this point? Because the landscape's a little bit different from when you were getting in. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a bit of a, <laughs> that's a, bit of a tough one. Um, because again, like I didn't, I didn't come up the traditional way. Um, so, um, I think, you know, my, my perspective is a little different and also the, the industry is going through quite a lot of upheaval right now. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of it's due to COVID, but I, to be honest with you, COVID's just accelerating some, some issues and challenges that were already happening before. Um, so I, I think there's kind of a, glass half full glass half empty way of looking at it in my opinion strategists are have never been more important but at the same time i think maybe where those strategies where those strategists sit and what their skill set needs to be is is changing i think it also seems like right now the the kind of the um, gravitas kind of like the things are shifting more towards people being wanting to work for brands and mm-hmm. or in-house or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and may, and um, those roles are not readily available, or maybe there's some brands that believe in having strategists and there's some that, 
that don't necessarily subscribe to that. So I think just kind of there, there, there is some, some turbulence right now in, in the field. So I guess my, my advice would be one is to maybe seek out the people that you think are the best in the field or people like thinkers or strategists. They don't, they don't even have to have the title necessarily, but people that, that you think are good thought leaders and decision makers and are very much credible, successful strategists to kind of seek them out, follow them, connect with them, understand maybe more about their path or maybe find a way to start working with them. Uh, that's one. I think there's some really good resources for that. Um, one is um, a place called Planning Dirty, or the Planning Dirty Academy by a guy named Julian Cole, who used to be a, was a brand strategist kind of in did a lot of really big campaigns, but now is sort of on his own and started this basically this school for strategists. Uh, another one is a community called Sweathead on Facebook mm-hmm. by Mark Pollard. Uh, I think it has over 10,000 members and, and it's not just kind of de facto strategists, but it's people from all sorts of the brand and agency spectrum that go out there and they're, they're doing various projects and they're looking for anything from advice on how to write creative briefs to where to find insights on millennials to whatever. But I think it's it's literally interesting place and community that that is fantastic for people that are passionate about the discipline. I think maybe the other bit of advice that I would give is I'm working on some, currently on some strategic uh, programs for a large corporation to upskill and reskill their workforce. And okay. sort of this idea of, you know, what is the 21st century workforce look like is, is really interesting and coming up. And it's not just them. It's, 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 it's literally every, every corporation or brand is coming up and things like, you know, data science and data analytics are becoming very important. So I, you know, my advice would be also for people to kind of start thinking about that and kind of become literate in, in digital. It doesn't mean that you have to only things think in ones and zeros, but I do think it's a it, it's an important skill set to have. If nothing else, that you can speak to say that you're 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 literate and and you can you can work with that with numbers and you can work with data. But I also think that needs to be balanced balanced with a good cultural perspective. I I guess it it really depends on the flavor of strategist that someone's trying to be. I like the holistic perspective. Maybe they want to be more in depth on it, but I, I think it is important to kind of build a good foundation and understand what are those building blocks that are going to be important and uh, make you successful in your in your job. Well, that's definitely great advice. And I think the ability to kind of be out there and learning about how this is and even listening to folks like you describe what's going on in the industry, I think will give people the clues they need to figure out where they might fit or how they might be able to advance themselves in the space. So I I hope that for those who are listening who are interested in that, that you do take advantage of that. I'm a part of the Sweathead community. I'm a known lurker there, I guess I could say. I'm just watching all the brilliance happen. But it's definitely one of those communities. It's easy to to jump in if you have a question or a thought. So uh, I'm going to have to check out definitely the other recommendations you had. But I did want to ask because I did some LinkedIn stalking and I saw on your, your profile this quote. And it says that the question is not what you look at, but what you see. So I was hoping you can unpack that for us a little bit and tell us what that means to you. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny that you, you saw that. I mean, obviously, the quote is, is there front and center, but it, it's funny that we're talking about it as we're discussing strategy. To me, it, it, I kind of look at it on, on, on two levels. To me, that means that there's there's a seed of data, a, a sea of data and information right now uh, out there, but it's it's and and a quest, you know, f- to acquire more data, et cetera, and talk about big data, whatever. Um, but it's meaningless without having actionable insights around that data and a perspective on it. So, what what decisions should you should you make um, as a result of this? The second part is often data will will tell you what's happening but not why mm-hmm. and i think not why it's happening right like i think especially if you look at things from an analytics perspective if we look at digital or product analytics you're gonna i mean look at covid right cases are going up but do we know why and we can make some assumptions but we're, but 
I, I think, you know, we don't know for sure. Right. And this is where kind of that art of under, like digging deeper and understanding what's happening, uh, it really comes into play. So I think there is an, uh, there's an art to digging and understanding both root causes and system failures, as well as human or behavioral factors behind data to tell you what's, what's really happening and how that can inform any sort of solutions or tactics or actions that you should take. And in a nutshell, I, I think to me that quote just means two things. Like, first of all, like, what do we see? There's an art to seeing, but then also the second level to that as well. What does it mean? I work with a brilliant strategist now on one of my key accounts, and she, she definitely lives and dies by the brief, or at least the key pieces of the information in the brief, I would say. I think she could easily roll without having one, but <laughs> learn that we all need it in order to keep us on track. So I would say, is that you as well? Do you find that a lot of the work that you need to accomplish becomes easier once you have the right brief down? Um, yeah, it's a g- good question. I, I would, mm, I'm not a slave to the, to the brief, but I, I do believe in it. I, I understand the value. There, there are two types of briefs, right? Good briefs and, and shitty briefs. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. But it is, it is, it is actually that is true. But no, the two types of briefs I'm referring to is there's client briefs and there's and there's agency briefs, also known as creative briefs. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, I think it's a really good framework for distilling actually um, what you're looking to accomplish or what your expectations are. Uh, from a certain initiative or or project or you know working with a partner or or something you know whatever anything anything along the line so client briefs are are the briefs that brands give to the to the agencies for example and you know things like we need a new holiday campaign or how do we launch in china or our our loyalty program sucks and how do we make it more like nike's um and you know so they're they're kind of more focused on business challenges and objectives. And then they are agency briefs, which basically take the um the client brief and kind of distill it to um to something that is very much like clear and specific. It's it's kind of an art between simpli- simplicity and clarity. It's an equation that then that then you give to your creative team, or, you know, nowadays, it probably is more of a, you know, could be like a multifunctional team to go and then deliver upon that brief and and, and come up with, you know, whatever the, the ask is, whether it's a new product, whether it's a new campaign idea, whether it's a new film or whatever it is. So I think briefs are great in terms of providing clarity and also saving time. I, I think actually, one very cynical strategist that I worked with basically said that his belief was that the reason why creative briefs, so those internal agency briefs exist is so that you would have one person do hours and hours of work so that not everybody that works on the, on the program has to spend all this, uh, all this time so that then you can, you know, you can make more money in terms of billable hours. Uh, (laughs) I think there's, there's some, truth to that, I guess. But ultimately, I think the idea is that you would, uh, you would go through a process of, um, of research and definition of the problem and coming up with insights and then uh, defining some sort of creative territory or approach, and then pass that on so that people don't have to go through that, through that, through that process. And also so that they're all aligned around one, one boundary object in one direction. So it's kind of um, it, it kind of provides you with enough guidance to go out and explore creative solutions, but it's not so prescriptive that it, it gives you the the solution. And I think that's actually sometimes the challenge with client briefs is they're a little bit too prescriptive um, and maybe too much focused on uh, the status quo instead of coming up with something that's a little bit more disruptive or interesting or different. Um, and as a result, I think either you don't get good results or that's the reason why you need the agency briefs is you need to kind of find a new way into the problem to come up with something that's more original and, um, and differentiated. Um, if we, 
in terms of kind of key elements of briefs, there's sort of there actually is a pretty pretty set structure for briefs, um, and the typical elements uh, of a brief are you define the goal, the business goal, um, what the target audience is, um, what is the problem that is currently stopping. Uh, the brand from achieving the goal, for example, or the customer. Um, then the insight, which is the maybe the one of the key parts of the brief, is some sort of informa- new bit of information that changes um, how you look at the problem or category, and then come up with some sort of proposition or message that you want to deliver to the audience, and then what's the action that you want them to take? Like, do you want them to feel a certain way? Do you want them to buy something like things like that? So that's, that's a pretty classic brief template. Um, Mm -hmm. There's also another one that is uh, much simpler and kind of props again to um, Julian Cole for this. Like if people want to know more about this, they can go to the planning 30 Academy and he has a really great course and all this, but another simple framework is uh, it's called the get, who to buy um, type of brief. And that formula being that get the target consumer who has blank problem to have such such, such and such desired response by um, taking a specific action. So like that's a lot of agencies write the briefs in, in that way. And it, it's simple, but it actually... Um, it actually works. So um, yeah, what else can I tell you about briefs? I mean, I, I think they're good frameworks. Um, I, I think they typically are great in terms of defining clearly the what you're trying to achieve. But I also think that they have some limitations because maybe they're a little bit more geared towards um, kind of single key message type of content or campaigns. They might not help you with more complex problems necessarily. Got it. And so with with all of this knowledge that you have and this approach, is there a problem out there in the world that you're just aching to solve? Something you think that if we could get a few strategists on it who really knew what they were doing, we could come up with the right way to approach this and solve this problem? Um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few actually that I'd be interested in tackling, whether they, they can be fixed <laughs> especially by the industry is is a um i think that's a bit of a tall order but you know just to kind of rattle off a few i i mean i i i think i think as a as a society and i think also it it's it permeates to marketing i think we've lost the art of thoughtful disagreement and dissent mm-hmm. over the last few years like it sort of is you know you're either with me or you're against me kind of thing like the like how many times have we um i guess it's a pet peeve of mine when i when i see like on on facebook or something it's like if you don't like my my view like unfollow me which to me like basically means if you disagree with me i don't want to talk to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i think is such a big problem i think it should be the opposite it's like if you disagree with me let's discuss (laughs) why we disagree so i think like to me I obviously understand the kind of the realities of what's happening and what has been happening um, over the last little bit. But at the same time, I think kind of, you know, finding ways for people to be able to communicate if, if they're on different uh, sides of the spectrum is, is important. So I think that would be one challenge, in my opinion, is how do you, how do you do that? Um, another one is I, I think there's, some really interesting and important challenges around um, equality and uh, wealth disparity and distribution. Mm -hmm. But I I think the tension there is, um, you know, I, I, at least I, like, I kind of believe in like having grown up in, uh, in Eastern Europe and, and under communism, actually, like, I also believe in, uh, you know, in competition and uh, capitalism and things like that. So like kind of, and, and, you know, rewarding people for innovation and industry. So it's kind of like that to me, like that's a really interesting tension to solve is how do you balance this idea of equality and solving some really important challenges 
and wealth disparity, like with, you know, some the the, the hundred richest people having more wealth than the 99 point, you know, 9% of the planet or something like that. Um, how do you solve that? But at the same time, not eliminate this idea of, um, of competition, right. And rewarding for risk and stuff like that. Um, then I think there's, um, uh, some really interesting challenges around the elderly. Uh, my, my parents are, are kind of getting on my dad's, um, what, what is my dad? My dad's 89. My dad, my mom, he has dementia. My mom's 78 and she's kind of become his full-time caretaker. And I can see the toll that it has on her. I can see the toll that it's had on him. There's also like all sorts of issues with loneliness and like also like, you know, this, all the stuff that's happening now with COVID and people not being able to, elderly folks not being able to see family members. So I think there's some, it's not the sexiest topic, but I think like this idea of great, aging gracefully and helping people kind of deal with that is, is really interesting. Then there's all sorts of environmental challenges and things like that. So honestly, I, I, I think there's no, um, there's no shortage of really interesting um, challenges and topics to, to kind of work on out there. Definitely. And I think there's, there's just so much to do out there. And I think part of, why I continue to be interested in the field and the industry and just figuring things out is that as we do different projects, even sometimes where they don't feel the most gratifying, there's a, there's a lesson in a skill you pick up there that you could take to a more serious, more I'm trying to find the right word, just more useful issue or topic to the world. So it definitely keeps me going in that way. So from your perspective, what's been your most favorite or rewarding or most valuable assignment in terms of something, you know, you learned something great, you had a great experience, like what's been great for you thus far in your career? There's been a few. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of weird in, in that I, I really like solving problems. Like I, I think honestly, just about any problem is really interesting if you dig deep enough into it, uh, especially when I, when I worked uh, with agencies, there was just some people that they just wouldn't want to touch certain clients because they didn't like the work or it wouldn't look good in their book or stuff like that, which, which I found that really, really strange. <laughs> uh, like yeah. as in I, I, I was new to the industry. So I was like, like, you could, you could do that. You can just say, I'm not going to work on this. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and like, I was like, like, are you kidding me? Like that, that's just so like, I, I, I just didn't understand that behavior, but I guess also just in terms of personally, I, I was like, again, like if, if I just dive into something, it's really interesting. So like to me, you know, waste management could be just as interesting as Nike <laughs> or maybe yeah. more interesting. Uh, so I, I've actually found, um, I found just about everything I've done kind of interesting as long as you're given sort of the opportunity and the free reign to bring it to life. I think things get unpleasant when there's a lot of bureaucracy and stopping and starting um, involved and and maybe things aren't thought through kind of scoping or strategic scoping wise or strategically up front and it's really hard to kind of do the work but if you can do the work and it's clear what it is like typically I find it all interesting but probably I mean probably the work I did at Sonos was some of the most interesting work I did um, because when when I was there uh, we were in a hyper growth stage, which means that uh, key indicators such as revenue or headcount are growing by 50% or more um, year over year. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was never a shortage of interesting or innovative challenges to solve. So, you know, on a macro level, things like making the brand matter in culture. Um, you know, it started out as a product that only rich techie dudes in Palm Springs can afford. Um, right. It was an actual that's an actual data point, by the way, that we had uh, <laughs> to becoming one of the most recognized music brands in the world or, uh, you know, kind of building out the structure of how we do marketing and starting a content team or starting a magazine or, you know, building our first uh, store um, or, you know, launching new products that didn't exist before and kind of figuring out what's the right way to uh, to market them and bring them to life in a creative way or, 
Um, there's, um, or for example, when, when you're, when you have a brand that is not well recognized or even a technology that isn't adopted yet, because at the time still people were kind of attached to, um, you know, like iTunes and buying their music and not like not streaming, not like Spotify, I think only had like 20 or 30 paying users at, I, I think it's like 20, not 20 or 30, sorry, 20 or 30 million, um, paying users globally, like things like that. So you kind of have to change the behavior. So coming up with ways uh, with, with campaigns that not only demonstrate what your product does and what are the points of difference of, of that product, but also kind of demonstrates the behavior of streaming and why it's a value add. Like, so I found like all these initiatives um, extremely interesting. And, and honestly, like personally, that's where I thrive is when you're building something almost from scratch, or you're, you're kind of impacting um, a behavior change or a cultural change. I, I personally find those the most kind of rewarding um, assignments to date. Um, the other one that stands out is I did I did work uh, pro bono with a dementia charity for a year. And, and that was, you know, in large part because of what was happening, you know, and is happening with my dad. So just kind of the the fact that it, it had personal significance and also that it, it could actually make a difference in people's lives. Like I found that I found that really, really rewarding as well. Awesome. Well, I mean, that definitely is something that I feel like would feel gratifying at some level, not only for you to learn more, but to feel like you were giving in some way. To, to something that's really impactful. One quick point is, is geared towards marketing and communications professionals, but we're here talking about strategy and how to become a strategist. And maybe you can give us uh, an approach, a recommendation on how strategists can become better strategists, because I think there's a lot of knowledge you've been sharing here. I would love to hear that. Yeah. So, so I think kind of an underlying theme of, well, I guess what what I've been talking with you about is is just that the field is the field like the world is changing and evolving, and I think there's it's becoming maybe more of a holistic discipline and more about just not necessarily solving only creative and communications problems, but but overall brand problems and looking at the brand holistically, meaning that the brand isn't this thing the kind of bolt on at the end with a cool logo and millennial pink, but the brand is the essence of what you're doing. The brand is at the center. So with that said, I, I, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind is, is to not think about the customer as as static or as if they're moving through a sales funnel, but to think, think about them contextually and the journeys that they take. And with journeys being a series of experiences, and the key element there is is time. So whether that's the time in terms of contextually, at what moment in time is that customer going to be, you know, is going to have a problem or a need or is going to be interacting with your product or platform or whatever, or whether that's actually thinking about their journey of, a specific mission um, or a task that they're trying to accomplish. And then how much, you know, think about actually the zoom level of that sequence mm-hmm. and what are the steps and understand what they're going through. And at what point they're, they're kind of like what, what they're, what's going through their mind, what are the challenges they're encountering? What are some external factors? Um, and kind of, I think using the, this journey approach is in, incredibly powerful um, in terms of coming up with insights and also coming up with new with strategies and new ideas for what you should be doing. Um, I, I think maybe just to add, there's different types and different flavors of journeys. And so you could look at them in terms of current state, but you also you could also can think about it in terms of future state or ideal state. So this is what's happening now. What does it need to be? And then based on that, you develop the strategy or you, or you even can think about how to change your, your product or experience or service based on that. So typically, I think back to our conversation about briefs, you know, when we think about briefs, we're thinking about a key insight and we're thinking about kind of a key message. 
And I think when um, that's a super, super powerful framework and it shouldn't go away, but there's other frameworks as well. And I think journeys are one search frameworks and they help you kind of focus in, really focus in on, on key moments and those moments that really matter uh, in terms of your um, ex- uh, someone's experience with a brand or product. And I think those moments can literally uh, help make or break um, make make or break uh, a brand or an experience or kind of, uh, y- you know, um, be the difference between you having a customer or not having that customer. So um, that would be my, my advice is actually to look into um, frameworks outside of traditional um, strategy frameworks and look into the kind of fields of experience design and service design. And I think uh, journeys are one such one such framework and they're incredibly powerful and incredibly relevant today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that that's something that we can all take a bit away from in terms of just looking outside of the usual suspects in order to kind of think about and grow um, in our space. But if you don't mind, we can uh, shift a little bit to talk about Ivan a bit and do a real quick hit list, learn a little bit more about you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Is this like a lightning round kind of one word answers or... Yeah, that's how we're gonna roll. Um, we're gonna try. Might might <laughs> might not be easy, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right. So, what's your hometown? Okay, so that's that's the one that's not easy because I've I've li- I I don't I I can't really say what my hometown is because uh, I've lived in in so many places starting mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I was actually born in the Soviet Union. Um, and then I grew up in, uh, my mom's Russian, my dad's Bulgarian. So then I grew up in Bulgaria, uh, where my dad's from, um, which is also in Eastern Europe until I was 11 years old. So I guess, um, that felt like home, but then I moved to Vancouver with my family and, uh, went to high school in Vancouver. So that felt like home. And then when I was 22, I moved in to, uh, LA and I spent 15 years there, which is the most I've spent of anywhere in my life. So that also feels like home. Um, and I'm currently um, living in New York, although I'm doing this uh, interview from Mexico. Um, wow. So I guess that's home. Like that's where all my, my shit is. So uh, it's a really tough question to answer. Like I kind of feel like, like on the one hand, I feel like I'm a citizen of the world. On the other hand, maybe in a more melancholy ways, I feel like I don't have a home. So Yeah. That's that was the one actually. Like I was inferring, it's going to be tough for me to answer this in in one word. Well, you did though. I think it's always interesting to kind of see the journey. So, if you had to pick an intro song that played anytime you entered a room, what song would it be? Oh man, uh, my girlfriend's going to laugh at me, but <laughs> it would be like a Phil Collins song, like in <laughs> in the air tonight or something. It actually be- came up as my top Spotify song of twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last podcast you listened to um i was just listening to um this i really like this podcast called exponential view it's about innovation and technology with a with a guy named azim uh azim azar I, I hope i'm not butchering his name but he's like a harvard grad and just a you know we talked about consultants earlier and like he's just a consultant to see i was like he's he's like the smartest man alive and he has all these people that are kind of at the forefront of their industries coming in and talking about biotechnology and blockchain and AI and things like that. So um, that's the last one that I that I listened to. And it was actually about like, um, I think it was about, um, yeah, it was about general AI, which is kind of in, in, instead of specific AI, which um, which is more about kind of automating specific tasks. General AI is basically like, you know, asking a question such as why is the sky blue or something like that. And (laughs) AI being able to give you an intelligent answer, which is, which is really hard to do. So that was, that was the last one, but I I really kind of enjoy these type of innovation business type of podcasts. Awesome. Well, all right. I got to check that out because coming from you, the smartest man alive, that's a strong record. Uh, no, that guy, I mean, yeah, you should check it out. It's I, I, I don't understand how that guy is able to formulate his thoughts. Like, so he, he's just on the fly. He just, he knows everything about everything. And he's, he's it's incredible. The guy's, he's, his IQ is probably like 200. <laughs> All right. So what's your favorite word? Oh, man. I, 
I don't think I have a favorite word. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a favorite word. Um, I probably have a least favorite word, but I don't think I have. I, like my favorite word kind of changes. I guess it, it sort of is in vogue sometimes. Like something will be kind of like I'll use it a lot, and then it will it will change. Like maybe I, I say things like, what would I say? I'll, I'll I'll say like a lot of words like naturally or hypothetically or like things like that. Like maybe they're kind of filler words or something. Help with the context. Yeah, <laughs> they just basically like allow me to think as I'm saying. <laughs> In the con space, we call those fillers. <laughs> you got those. Okay. What's your least favorite word? Uh, no. <laughs> the word no. That's safe. That's a safe one. Yeah. What sound do you love? Um, I, I like the, it, I like the sound of sports, like sports, uh, kind of commentators in the background. Like it, it's kind of a weird thing, but one of my favorite things to do is on the weekend to sort of like take a nap as I'm, as I have some sports in the background. It's like, I, it's a very suiting kind of thing for me. Nice. Nice. What sound do you hate? Uh, teeth on a metal fork. Fair enough. For me, it's the anything on against anything metal that will, I guess metal on metal is really the one that kills me. Yeah, metal, metal, chalkboard, like all that stuff. But like, yeah, teeth on, on, yeah. yeah I'm getting the feeling now. Okay. Um, what profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Um, I just, I was just asked that at a, at a dinner I was at. Um, I think Formula One driver would probably be my top job. Nice. Um, music producer, I think would be cool. Um, like a kind of like a high, high up kind of finance guy would be interesting to me just because it's so kind of removed from where I am now and how I think. Like, I mm-hmm. think it would be like an interesting, but yeah, maybe those ones. Okay. What profession would you avoid completely? Uh, anything that's like super monotonous, I think. Probably wouldn't enjoy being an accountant or, yeah. Doesn't work with the creative brain. Doesn't work. Yeah. Um, where's the last place you've traveled to? Well, I'm currently in an Airstream in Mexico. So I think that probably counts. We, we've been here since uh, September 1st. Came here to, to kind of surf and work from here. Let things maybe settle in New York a little bit. And we just keep extending our trip. Yeah, that's that's where we are right now. <laughs> okay, where would you love to go next? I would love to go to actually California. So been in New York for four years. So we're, the plan is to move to California. But also maybe in terms of more kind of an exotic locale, like I would really love to go to Portugal. I've never been. I hear it's, uh, I hear it's great. That's definitely on my list. Okay. Yeah, you haven't been? I have not been. So uh, I, I have all my Instagram pictures of castles outside of Lisbon that I need to go see as well and be that tourist, but I've heard amazing things. So I definitely want to put that on. Yeah. The food too, I think is, is next level, especially if you're kind of into, into meats and cheeses. I think if you're, if you're vegetarian, maybe (laughs) not so much. (laughs) So last question on this list, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You're going to love the surfing here. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you, Ivan, for walking us through all of this and sharing a little bit about yourself. We want you to have one last word on things. And it's the question that everybody always wants to know about, the one they always ask. What's more important, strategy or execution? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a good question. I think there's actually a, a really good quote from Sun Tzu on that, which is, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. And tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. So, um, so I, I, I think they, I think they kind of, they kind of go hand in hand in hand. But I mean, if we were to look at this question, it's a great question. And I think if we were to look at this more kind of practically, obviously, you know, strategy has to be in service of execution. So I think, 
you know, you need to, you need to be driving towards ultimately, um, doing something and, you know, making something, bringing it to life and not just having kind of strategy for the sake of strategy, which, um, which is not helpful and which, which can also take a, a long time. Um, what's interesting is if you, if you look at a lot of the m- m- kind of modern camp companies and the kind of the DTC companies in, in some cases, they, they've almost taken a, um, a anti-strategy approach and kind of heavily lean towards execution and basically, you know, learning from the execution and learning from failure. So kind of this idea of, you know, MVPs and failing fast is in a weird way, it's almost like a kind of anti-strategy approach where it's like, well, let's just like make something and let's put it out there and let's learn from it as fast as possible. So instead of taking a long time to build a strategy and then to kind of de-risk something and then to kind of do something, which might take a lot of time, let's just do something and, and learn from it and then iterate, iterate, iterate. So I think it's actually a really interesting um, approach. And I, I think like the two, the two can coexist. I think there's kind of a level of maybe doing some sort of um, research strategy, kind of predetermining of maybe where you should be fishing first and then really quickly turning out a prototype and learning. Um, I think that's really that, that kind of like a blend of the two is something that I, I personally like to incorporate and I think works, works really well. Awesome. Awesome. And with that, we'll close this episode. Thanks for joining us, Ivan. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you and yeah, I look forward to hearing more of your episodes. Great. Thanks. And this is one quick point.